What's up, everyone, and welcome to the weekly Q&A. Starting with our Patreon questions, Rick Villanueva asks if B2's personality could become K2. I've seen a lot of people throwing that idea around, and it's something that we we kind of made that connection. I don't know that I went that far to say that B2 will become K2, but there's that, that one line where B2 says to Cassian, uh, leaving is a bad idea, and it, it sounds an awful lot like K2. It does. And I would be okay if this were what happens, but I kind of want B2 to have his own thing. I do too. Here's why I don't want that to happen, is that makes K2's death even more tragic. (laughs) Yeah. If they reprogram him using B2 somehow, and that like, I'm afraid that means something bad happens to B2. And one of the major reasons I chose this question is because I just want to talk about how wonderful B2 is. He's so cute. That w- Maybe the biggest reaction I felt watching it for the first time uh, is when Cyril Karn says to yank out his power cell and B2 goes, no. And I was like, no, <laughs> don't hurt him. I love him so much. It's crazy that they just keep cranking out these adorable droids in star wars and finding ways to make them even just a little bit unique i sometimes when he moves you can hear like the whirs of his gears and stuff and it sounds kind of like droid speak but i was just surprised that he had an actual voice and i was not expecting that and i i really liked it um still don't really know what his functionality is (laughs) yeah and i don't know like like you said about him if you were to become k2 that being more tragic that would mean that he was literally with cassian from for his whole life as as far as he has known droids like yeah i i could i could see them doing that because of how tragic it is but you're right because there is a shot of cassian seeing b2 for the first time and just being like it looks like he'd never seen a droid before i I totally agree with you I, i don't think he had I don't think he'd seen any technology of that sort before, uh, which I'm still, I think they're going to continue to explore his past because I'm like, what is up with Kanari and his little village that's made up entirely of children? Mm-hmm. Uh, what's going on there? Yeah. But yes, B2 is a treasure. Uh, I want them to, I'll I'll try to use my Lego forces for good. I keep requesting <laughs> Lego sets and they happened. So Oh, I got my land speeder. I got my B1. Now give me a B2. A BD1, excuse me. <laughs> yeah. B2 emo. Get his whole name in there. Yeah. Cause... I want him to fill up a whole a whole cabinet shelf thing right there. He can he can do it. Do you want brand new squeaky clean B2 or do you want seasoned cracked B2? Good question. Cuz we get to see both in the first 3 <laughs> yeah. episodes. Great question, Molly. I think I prefer uh older more rundown b2 mm-hmm. that's it's part of his character charm. yeah the pausing for data lag <laughs> that's two lies like having to <laughs> having to this this is so relatable like having to figure out how much mental power you have for the rest of the day be like ah, i haven't i have enough energy for one lie two <laughs> you're really pushing it <laughs> brandon velasquez wants to know if kids will enjoy andor since so many people are saying andor is star wars for adults I do think that it is accessible for the the younger audience. Uh, someone, when we were at the premiere, uh, we met Clayton Sundell's son, uh, who uh, I, I 
can't remember how old he said he was. But Charming young gentleman. Yeah, uh, very well dressed. Decked out in like uh-huh. a suit and bow tie. Yeah, uh, but he said he enjoyed it. Um, I I don't know if he enjoyed it as much as we did. And I, I can see it being kind of like when I was younger and my dad told me The Empire Strikes Back was his favorite Star Wars movie back when there were only three. I was like, really? Because... I much preferred A New Hope or Return of the Jedi. To me, at that point in time, Empire Strikes Back was the boring one. There's so much just talking. And it's like you get the fight at the beginning, and then there's a lightsaber fight at the end. But so much of it is just talking, and I didn't get it when I was eight. Yeah. I think, uh, obviously, we need to talk to more people who have kids and see whether or not this is true. But I think they're doing a pretty good job at you know, giving us these intermittent moments with B2, who offers up some humor to the mix, and then flashbacks to the children, which young kids will be able to identify a little bit more with. And then action. Kids will always like action-packed scenes. So between those three things, I think there's a good mix to keep kids a little more involved in the story. Some of the ones... From the first three, like some of the moments in the first three episodes, I could see kids getting a little bored with, but I think that will become less and less as we go forward in the show. I I think so. Yeah, I agree that, you know, the first three episodes only have really one action sequence. You could kind of count the first scene, the opening stuff uh, as an action scene, but for the most part, it is, you know, slow and methodical. I never found it to be boring at all. But I could see kids just kind of like not being into all of the discussions. But I think that's okay. Like, there, there's a ton of Star Wars content for the younger audience. And I think it's fine to balance things out a little bit and target the older audience more. They have not made it inaccessible to young kids the violence is not graphic you know there's there's a lot of stuff that it's like if you know what the red light district is you know but if you know you know yeah if you know you know but (laughs) a kid is just gonna see people in bubbles and yeah be like huh that's weird yeah and like the violence in this show right off the bat in the very first episode is already a lot more intense Mm. than what we're used to with star wars but it's like it's still off screen yeah. Just barely, but it's still happening off screen, and it's happening kind of quickly, so it's it's not too bad. Yeah, Cassian shoots a dude in the head, but it's like his his head is over here, <laughs> <laughs> and you you know what happened, but it's again it's just not overly brutal or anything. Yeah. So, yeah, I I get the sense that a kid this might not be their favorite thing, but I mean I still liked Empire when I was a child. I was just like. There's a lot of talking in this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I don't want to sound like a grandma, but I think I'm going to. I feel like if kids these days want to play games like GTA, they'll they'll find this entertaining. Come on. <laughs> Sooner Thrawn asks if the Andor flashbacks were before or during the Clone Wars. I hadn't considered the possibility that it could all be before the Clone Wars. Um I I figured that it was during the Clone Wars. There is 
a lot of question surrounding whether or not they're separatist or republic because they have separatist patches, but then Marva calls them republic officers. Um, I already did a video on that, so watch that. I won't dig in it too much. But it would be interesting to see a story in the buildup to the Clone Wars and the idea that uh, this it, it all hasn't exploded yet, but the separatists still exist, and maybe the clones aren't out there yet. I don't yeah. know. I, I like the idea of this being before the start of the Clone Wars, because Andor and his sister are some of the youngest kids in this all-kid uh, tribe on this on this island planet whatever and so he's pretty young and yeah I could I could see the flashbacks you know kind of slowly moving up the timeline showing him a little bit older a little bit older how old do you think he is in the flashbacks I would say 10 that that was going to be my guess as well 10 which, at the at the oldest which means he so he said I've been in this fight since I was 6 years old so I think there's still more story to tell. Again, the fact that his whole tribe is seemingly children is very strange. And I, I, I think there's more to learn there to see, yeah, maybe we go four years before that. Yeah, um, we don't know, like, what happened to these kids. Where are their parents? Exactly. Where, where are all the adults? So maybe all that stuff started around the time that he was six. Right. And he's just been, you know, fending for himself since then. Yeah, I, I get the sense that he had just become old enough to go on this expedition. I think it's really interesting they chose to not do subtitles for uh, the Canari language, that we just have to survive off context clues. But, like, he walks up to put the war paint on, and one of the kids slaps his hand away, and another one says, like, no, let him do it, basically. So I feel like that was the first time he even left this little area that they were at and you pointed out that the the one girl was like waving at the ship as if like oh we're rescued or something yeah like she was trying to flag it down yeah like are they stranded there what is what is canari culture like maybe the parents make the kids go live in the woods or something <laughs> is this all just a big test yeah <laughs> oh man i don't know but i, I think, think there's more to learn i think something happened in this whatever this big mining disaster was that involved the adults, but it could be something entirely different. And that's something else. Like it definitely looked like there was a mining disaster already. And the empire said it was abandoned or whatever, devastated in a mining disaster. But like when, when is the timeline of Canari again, I think they are going to continue to show that to us. And hopefully tell us why is it so, you know, intriguing that Cassian is from Canari. Mm -hmm. Why is that kept su such a secret? Yeah. Yeah. Why did uh, Marva want that hidden? Um, it's very interesting. And I, I like that they're sprinkling this mystery. And I saw some people say like, oh, they made a mistake and said that the Separatists were Republic officers. I'm like that. There's no way they made that mistake. That's there for us to be like, what is going on? Mm -hmm. And then we speculate wildly for a week, and it's fun. Leftist Hominid wants to know if Cassian was still a separatist, or has that been changed? So kind of uh, building off of that even more, and building off the idea, I, I think tomorrow's video is all about 
fest. I can talk about that a little bit, but I really loved that they changed Cassian's homeworld to Canari, and I was like, ah, I was hoping for a fest shout out, but whatever. Like, it's from a reference book. I wasn't expecting them to, like, shackle themselves to the visual dictionary. But then to have Marva say, like, that was their cover story. Like, to me, that's the perfect way to handle it. It's like, yes, we are retconning uh, his backstory, but for those of you that read the reference book, here you go. A little acknowledgement. <laughs> for then, you know, one of the other, like, corpo people was like, well, this says he's from Fest. He should yeah. be from Fest. It's like, a, that's... Got it sitting right here. Going through <laughs> everyone's heads who was like, well, he should be from Fest. Yeah. It's in the movie. Yeah, we were all thinking it. All... all 1% of Star Wars fans that read the <laughs> reference book. Um, but building off of that, the same reference book says that he grew up as a separatist. Um, I think that that's likely. I think they've set that up well enough. Marva and uh, Clem, as he's listed in the credits, the Andors, they did not seem happy that uh, Republic Frigate was on its way. It, and they had separatist gear on or patches or something. Not them. See, th that's they they seemed like they were more just salvagers, mm. scavengers or something. Who had separatist patches on? All the crew of the ship. Oh, okay. So like the guy that shot the leader of the kids and everyone that was like dead from that gas. Um, they all looked like they were separatists. But yeah, maybe Marva, I don't know. Like I, I kind of feel like they could be independent. Mm. But or, they definitely did not seem like they were fans of the Republic. Or, you know, it could be the very similar to the Fest stuff where, like, he was a separatist in the way that he was a separatist when he needed to be. Yeah. I, I think that could also work. That could just be part of their false backstory. Mm -hmm. we, we could go through the Rogue One visual dictionary and just see everything that it says and be like, we'll assume that was something that Marva set up. Which I think works now. Yeah. Again, I like that a lot. I think they... That's a very smart way like, to get around the idea of retconning things. Uh -huh. And I, to me, Diego Luna at the premiere said that he really respected how collaborative Tony Gilroy is. And I, I can feel that. I see that where he is someone that probably wrote this story about Canari. And then someone at the story group was like, hey, we kind of said his homeworld was fest. Can we do something about that? And he could have been like, no, I don't care. But the fact that they wrote it in, just a little acknowledgement, uh, it, it means a lot to the people who get overly obsessed with the reference books. I wonder if that's because Cassian was one of the main characters in a theatrically released Star Wars movie. If they take those characters a little like they put them a little higher up for how important their backstories are so they got to find a way to explain it maybe i i mean the the thing that i would compare this to is poe dameron's backstory in the rise of skywalker how they had set up that he was part of the new republic before he joined the resistance and then the line from Zori Bliss was like, you didn't know that he was a spice runner before he joined your resistance. And then after the fact, uh, Alex Segura wrote Free Fall and smoothed it all out and we got the timeline. But I get the impression that J.J. wrote that 
and they were like, um, we have these comics. And he was like, don't care. Don't care. That That's just the impression I get. It is a nitpick. It doesn't really affect the overall story. And again, it's all been smoothed out. But it would have been pretty simple to not say that he was a spice runner directly before joining the resistance. That's all I'm saying. Rick Villanueva and Michael Caddock and Thomas S. on YouTube ask how we feel about Rogue Squadron's removal from the Disney release calendar. Had a lot of people send me their uh, heartfelt condolences over the past week when that happened. When I think that happened last Thursday or so. Honestly, I feel fine about it. I mean, like, I, I am still fully believing it's going to happen or else I, if they straight up said it was canceled, I would be sad. Mm-hmm. Removing it from the release schedule of 2023 is not surprising to me in the least bit. Yeah, I mean, they haven't given us any info on it since it got announced, like, for the very first time. So I'm not surprised. They also, you know, Kathleen Kennedy has said that Patty Jenkins just isn't working on it right now. They didn't say it was canceled. They didn't say, like, it's not happening. Just the fact that it doesn't quite fit with what direction that they're going in at this moment. So it sounds more like a back burner situation. Yeah, like, I think it's still going to happen at some capacity. I mean, I'd be fine if they shifted it into a Disney Plus series or something. Like, you know, I I love the X-Wing books, so they could do something similar to that. But whatever, I just want my pilot story. But the fact that we haven't heard anything from it, we didn't hear anything at Celebration or D23, and it's supposed to like be finished writing, and it needs casting, and it needs production and edit post-production, like all of that before 2023, like no way that was going to happen. I have an idea of what happened. Uh, Maverick came out, Top Gun Maverick came out, and they're like, well, there, there, there's our movie. <laughs> That's what it was going to be. So it, now that, they. That may be. Now they have to start over. <laughs> Although, if that were the case, it would just be Star Wars doing Star Wars again. But. Well, like they're. Like they haven't ever done that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. True. <laughs> Fair point. Um, but I do kind of think that maybe Wedge Antilles was going to come in and teach a new generation of pilots and go on one or two missions with them. Like it. My headcanon setup does feel very similar to Top Gun Maverick. Um, So that's a very real possibility. I also think that it was struggling before that, before Maverick came out. I mean, they said it was delayed already uh, last year, I think, or the year before. So none of it surprised me. None of it changed my emotional state at all. I was just like, yeah, sounds right. Your audition tape is done it's ready to go <laughs> yeah whenever they want to get back to filming it's there that's true maybe they're just trying to figure out how much they need to offer me to get me there and the answer is zero zero dollars <laughs> i'll pay for my plane ticket i'll grow the mustache i'll, I'll do craft services let's just not give all the the milk away for free be there i will be there <laughs> Jocasta didn't knew wants to know if Mieber Gascon joined the Empire. See, that made me think that that's that's the cameo that I want in Andor. That we find out that Mieber Gascon is part of the Imperial Security Bureau in a tiny little white uniform. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone takes him very seriously. I mean, 
the Empire, they don't like alien species, I, except I, for Thrawn. So but, I, I wouldn't be... I wouldn't really be down with this because I like the idea that Thrawn was like their only exception just because he's so super smart. And you're saying Mieber Gascon is not so super smart? That's not what I'm saying. It sounds like that's what you're saying. It's not. They, you're trying to say that Thrawn is way better than Mieber Gascon. I don't know Mieber Gascon that well. <laughs> I, I agree with you. I don't think, more just I don't think Mieber Gascon would join the Empire. I see him fitting in way better in the Rebellion. He's still got a D-Squad out there somewhere. He's probably in the head of an astromech droid (laughs) in an X-Wing during the Battle of Yavin. Oh, that'd be bad because then he probably would explode there. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, okay, I will, I'll be okay with him being part of the Empire if at one point in time he fights Babu Frick. Fights him? Yeah, the two little ones. They they fight. Who wins that battle? Well, the person who deserves to. So Babu Frick. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I was like, <laughs> I can't believe you'd want to put Babu Frick in any sort of danger. No, he can take care of himself. Babu Frick would probably build like a mecha or something. <laughs> oh yeah, they can both do that. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That they're both just inside droids fighting it out. That'd be fun to see. <laughs> Garrett Gates asks if we should leave the Imperial era after Andor. I don't think we're ever going to leave it for good. I'm ready to move on from that time period for now, I think. Like, after Andor's over, I'll be ready for something different. You know, there's there's all this High Republic stuff coming, the Acolytes coming, skeleton crew. I... I'm I'm ready for for other time periods. I, I still kind of lump in the Mandalorian and the Mandoverse in the Imperial era, just because there are still stormtroopers around. Um, but yes, I, I I don't think we're ever going to stop telling stories during the Galactic Civil War or the Dark Times or whatever you want to call it. And I think Andor is proof that even though Star Wars is well saturated in that era, you can still tell a very good and compelling story set there. But just like I I love Andor for how different it feels in tone, I I like the variety, and I want variety in my eras as well. So yeah, I'm really excited to get into the High Republic with the Acolyte and to spread out even more. So as long as they keep doing new and different things, I don't mind continuing to get stories at this point, but we we need some more. I think, outside of the Empire. Agreed. Darth Strange wants to know if we still plan on doing an Explain It To Me episode for the Rings of Power. You know, I've been very heartwarmed to see how many people have been asking about that over the weeks. The answer is still yes. Hopefully next week sometime. Uh, We were just way, way too busy. Um, If you've never seen Explain It To Me, we've done it on our other channel where we will just talk about a different show that's on. And I started doing it because I wanted to have our friend Ashton explain Lord of the Rings to me. I love Lord of the Rings, but he knows so much about Tolkien. And we have so many questions about the Rings of Power. We've been enjoying it. But all three of us were at DragonCon when the episodes, the first two episodes came out. And then Ashton and I both got Con Crud. 
and then we got invited to the Andor premiere. And now this weekend, all three of us are going to be at a friend's bachelor party. So we <laughs> we just haven't had time where all of our schedules matched up. But we want to do it. So maybe we'll just cover like the first half and second half of the season. Or maybe we'll be able to work it out where it's like we cover episodes one through five and then we can do six through ten individually. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But damn it, I'm going to talk about <laughs> Lord of the Rings with Ashton. Well, it's it's funny because I don't know how many episodes there have been so far. Four? Uh, we're about to get five. But by the time this is on YouTube, it will be five. Okay. But like... In those few first few episodes, we haven't really seen the story go super long. Like they have, they've introduced a lot of different characters, but I think we could condense it down to review and talk about just like the first half pretty easily. Yeah, I think so. I definitely have uh, some questions that I feel like Ashton has answered before, but what if- now he can answer them and it'll be recorded. And when I have those questions again, I can just go watch that. But I have questions about elves and Numenor and... Who's Meteor Man? Yeah, who that is. I mean, that no one knows that. Uh, that's all pure speculation at this point. But I'd love to hear Ashton's thoughts on it. I need to... I already have. I'm going to put up a big whiteboard like in Cabin of the Woods and write down everyone's... Oh, everyone make bets. Guesses, yeah. And then we can make bets on who that is. All right, well, who's your bet? I like Balrog. You just think he's a Balrog. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm going to go with one of the blue wizards. Um, I I, I think that he is a wizard. But whatever they're doing, I like that they're balancing it out between he'll do something magical and beautiful and also something sinister. So it's keeping us on our toes. I do like that. Here we go. We're doing (laughs) an explain it to me without Ashton right now. Where we just ask the questions and then Ashton's not here to tell us. Yeah, we just ask ourselves questions and then we're like, hmm. I don't know. <laughs> wouldn't be wouldn't, wouldn't that be nice to know? <laughs> That's all the time we have for questions today. If you want to leave a question for next week's video, just put it in the comments below or sign up for Patreon to join our weekly Q&A discussion and get a guaranteed written response. If you haven't already, please like this video, subscribe to the channel. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. And as always, thanks for watching and may the force be with you. When facing a family law matter, it can feel like an overwhelming and never-ending court process. It's vital to know that things will look better on the other side if you hire legal counsel with the skill and compassion to help. At Stangy Law Firm, we represent clients in difficult family law matters every day. Visit FamilyLawRepresentation.com to schedule your consultation. That's FamilyLawRepresentation.com. Stangy Law Firm, here to help you rebuild your life. Stangy Law Firm has an office in Wichita. Kirk Stangy, 120 South Central Avenue, Suite 450 Clayton, Missouri.